0: Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and dealing with the challenges and complexity of life in the 21st century. Episode to episode we uncover what it takes to be adaptable and robust in this age of constant change and upheaval. My big life lesson this week has been the power and the importance of going to see your family. I took a long weekend this weekend to drive, Two and a half hours down to warwickshire to see my parents for the first time in about seven or eight months which was so so nice really restorative and just great to see people you haven't seen or you've just seen over kind of facetime or zoom for months so i would completely recommend going to see your family and friends if safe if possible and feasible if you can in person i think human connection makes all the difference Anyway, on to our episode. And this week I have been speaking to Sophie Cliff about, well, a number of things really. But I think my main takeaway from the episode is the importance of doing what is right for you and living for the now. And we'll go into kind of Sophie's career change she made, um, some of the kind of values she lives by and the importance of bringing joy into your life. But I won't delay any longer. We'll get straight into the episode and I really hope you enjoy it.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Sophie Cliff, also known as The Joyful Coach, and I help people live their most joyful lives, whatever that means to them. And I do that in three ways, so through one-to-one coaching, through my courses and group programs, and also through my content. So I share lots on Instagram, and I also have a podcast called Practical Positivity, which does what it says on the tin, shares lots of positivity tips that are really practical. And I've been following
0: Sophie for it must be about 4 or 5 years now and s- following you on Instagram and all the various platforms I've really seen your transformation I guess from your old work which we'll have a quick discussion about the corporate life you used to lead into what you do now and I think it's been a very personal journey to you and something a lot of pe- that's, re- that's resonated with a lot of people you know taking this jump into the unknown and trying to lead a life that is meaningful and doing what you want to do. So could you talk us a little bit through that transition? And I guess you, you did have an epiphany moment, which unfortunately was linked to a very tragic event in your life.
1: Yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, I had a very traditional corporate career path. So I did a really boring economics degree, and then did got the sort of job that you would expect someone with an economics degree to get. So I did a graduate scheme and then worked my way through lots of companies like The Walt Disney Company, some tech startups, always in sort of sales and marketing based roles and it was something I'd never really given that much thought to. I just always had this thing that like you know work is meant to be quite hard and all I'd ever been taught about careers was that like get the best one and get the one that will earn you the most money and that's sort of what I'd done. I just carried on you know in that direction and every time I went for a different job I thought maybe this will suit me a little bit more, maybe this will feel a little bit more me and I did similarly to you lots of things on the side you know I had a blog and I did various bits and pieces to try and fill that gap but it never really felt quite right and then in August 2016 we had a really tragic and unexpected loss in my family my young cousin Blossom passed away and that really just was like like a hand grenade thrown into life and it really for me was the first time that I sort of paused and thought what is going on here? Because I think we hear these phrases like, you know, like life is short and live every day if it's your last. And we see them on, you know, beautifully like illustrated on Instagram and Pinterest. But I think it was only at that moment that I really like understood the weight of those things and understood like, gosh, yeah, life is really short and it can be really short. And what, like, it's not a dress rehearsal. You know, we're here and we got to make the most of this time now. And I think beforehand consciously or subconsciously I'm not quite sure I had this sort of thing in my head where I thought so long as I play the game right so long as I do everything right I'll get to the point where I'm happy and that was really what had kept me on this path of you know doing all the things that society tells us we should be doing aiming for all those achievements you know getting the fancy LinkedIn titles and it was when that happened in August 2016 I thought like I've got to make a change here and that was really a bit of a catalyst for me to start reassessing all areas of my life really and looking at them and thinking does this make me happy is this how I want to spend my time does this feel like you know a good use of time now I know that it's not guaranteed is this how I want to be spending my days and I suppose luckily most areas of my life felt like yes this is how I want to spend my time you know like had a great relationship lots of lovely friends that kind of thing but there were also lots of things that I was chasing because I thought it would get me to happiness further down the line of, you know, oh, if I work really hard and buy this type of house, I'll be happy. Or if I get win this award, I'll be happy. And you know, that obviously wasn't the case. And so that was really a turning point for me. Particularly, I suppose the career was a bit of a catalyst for lots of other parts of life. But I knew that I didn't want to work till I was like 65 in a big corporate company, working 40, 50 hours a week, and you know, getting two weeks off a year like not long after actually um we experienced you know what we went through we also took some time off to go on a holiday and that was the first time I'd ever taken more than a week off work because I was a true workaholic wow. yeah so really this was in 2000 and early 2018 and that was the first time I'd taken a two week holiday since I was 18 so it had been like a whole like 10 11 years since I'd taken more than a week off work and it was just You know that was how I was wired. Was like keep going, and we'll you know push the happiness further along.
0: Do you think that was your expectations purely, or kind of a mix of your expectations and the expectations of employers?
1: I think a bit of both. So definitely the the sorts of places I worked, it wasn't encouraged that you take a big break. And like I said, like I would always take my holiday, but it would be in. Random bits here and there, and oh crap, we've got three days left. I need to do- take them off, or I'm going to lose them. And and it was always sort of, I suppose I always worked in quite um, like high pressured teams, and I worked in account management roles. So anyone listening who has ever worked with clients knows that it doesn't feel like a holiday to take two weeks off, often because you're thinking, oh, what are my emails saying? And what if that thing hasn't happened? And so it was that sort of taking that time off again almost gave me a bit of a flavor of like, oh, like this is what freedom feels like. And imagine being able to do this really regularly. And so it was around that time, I was having lots of, I suppose, lots of thinking about how I could bring a bit more of that freedom and flexibility and also how I could start to do some work that I felt really good about. Because I think what I was often confused about before was that I was good at my previous jobs and in my previous career. And I always thought because I was good at it, I had to do that and I never really thought about what would I like to do or what would feel enjoyable to do and so I that start kick-started I suppose a big year of and a big 18 months really of personal transformation of reading loads of books listening to loads of podcasts working with coaches and mentors and really trying to get to the heart of what it was that felt really important to me and I had because I'd had experienced this sort of you know, tragedy and really started to feel how important it was to live each day. That really felt important to me to be wrapped up in whatever work I went on to do. I wanted to make sure that I was almost passing that message on to other people so that they could understand the power of it without having to have the awful experience first. And that felt really important to me was to just almost be the voice that could tell people like you can find a job that you enjoy and it is okay to, you know, chase after the milestones that feel important to you instead of the ones that your friends are and all these things that no one ever really stops and teaches us, you know, at any point. But I always say we're so taught to do what our parents say or what our teachers say, all of our sort of, you know, schooling and and then the way work is set up, we're told to do what our bosses tell us to do. And so we're never really tra- taught to listen to that intuition or to trust that we know what is best for ourselves. And I think that year was really a big journey for me in starting to trust and listen to some of the gut stuff instead of just seeking the external validation.
0: And I suppose, oh, there are so many threads I want to pull out here, but I'm really interested in kind of this journey of transformation, because I think a lot of people, especially at the moment, are kind of facing potentially a career change, or they've almost been forced to think about, okay, what's the next step for me? And it's interesting to hear you talk about, okay, this process for me took 18 months. It wasn't, you didn't wake up and suddenly be like, aha, I know what I want to do. And I think a lot of people are waiting for an aha moment, but not just, the moment but the knowledge of like what comes next like it will just come to them mm-hmm. so do you think you really needed that time to kind of digest and think about things?
1: Yeah I think it might not take everyone as long as 18 months I'd had a long a, you know a decade of sort of corporate conditioning of <laughs> this sort of you know the done way and uh, you, you hear subconsciously and consciously so much about what is good work and what is worthy work and what's important and what we place value on and I think I had a lot of that to unpick and to sort of come to terms with which might have meant that it took a little longer but yeah I would so say the biggest thing for me when I look back because it always sounds really neat when you tell it looking back you say like oh this happened and then I had this epiphany and then I decided to change everything and of course it doesn't feel like that at the time and I am a real planner and like to know what's going to happen when and like to be able to sort of think about, you know, and then in this year we will buy this house or this year it'll be all about our careers. Or, And I think a big a big learning for me was letting go of all of that and really starting to understand that I didn't have to be able to see the whole path ahead. I just had to know what the best next step was and to trust that by taking the action, next steps would reveal themselves and I think that is really something I try to when I'm working with clients really try to it's a different way of thinking because we're taught you know even you know go to university you'll study this type of degree you'll be, be able to go for these types of jobs and we we think that we can sort of see the whole career or the whole life ahead and actually for me it was starting to experiment and be curious with little things so I knew that in my previous roles, when I'd worked in management roles, I loved learning about like NLP and the way our minds work and, you know, how like the field of positive psychology. And so for me, like dipping my toe in the water was starting my podcast. And that was before I'd retrained as a coach or done anything or made any sort of investment or commitment. It was just, I love talking about this topic. I love learning about this topic. I wonder if, you know, if I start sharing this, it will resonate with other people. I wonder if in 10 weeks of talking about it, I'll still be interested or whether that, you know, might send me in a different direction. And then through that, I then, you know, loved it and started having more conversations with people and people wanted to have more personalized conversations. And I started to think, well, I need some more tools here to help me have those conversations. And that led me down the path of retraining as a coach and studying NLP in more detail. and, And I think, the way I always try to sort of frame it in my mind and when I'm working with people is like what's the best next step and what's the next step that opens more doors than it closes because I think we often think about decision making as closing a door forever you know if I leave this job that's it done or if I walk away from this career that's it done when that is very rarely ever the case usually what it is is that we walk away from something to open a door that Opens more paths up to us. And I think that's the way that I've had to try and retrain my brain to think about it. And that takes some of the heat and the fear out of it is if in a year's time I decide this isn't what I want to do anymore, which I would be very surprised if that happened, like that 10 years of corporate experience hasn't gone anywhere. I can always go back and restart on that path. I haven't, you know, suddenly lost all of that experience. And I think that's what I would say to anyone who's sort of thinking at the moment, you know, what else might be out there is to just be curious, take like some small steps that open more doors and start to notice what feels good and what doesn't.
0: Definitely. And I think people over the past kind of four months, and I hate to talk about the pandemic all the time, but it, you know, it's a big kind of force in our lives at the moment for good or for ill, (laughs) but kind of remote working and people, I guess, working from home and potentially having more time, you know, less of a commute or less of kind of presenteeism. That people are starting to think okay right my life could be different you know this is I, this is the future and I think a lot of people are starting to think about also working for themselves and is that a shift you're kind of seeing with your clients and the people you're speaking to more people are talking about okay if I'm gonna have a career if I'm gonna work really hard I want it to be on my terms
1: and almost for me yeah do you know it's really funny because I would say if I think about like the, the group of clients I'm working with at the moment it's a real split down the middle of some people really love employment and they love being in office and being around people and all that kind of thing and some people really don't and they want that drive they want to have more control over what they're doing and more autonomy and what I, how I always try to sort of guide people and help them understand what is best for them is to try and get clear on two why's so one is like the personal why, what do you want your work and your career to support? And you're right, for so many people, what they want it to support is more flexibility, more freedom, more, you know, being able to take Friday afternoon off or being able to pick their kids up from school. And that feels really important to them. Whereas actually, for some people, their personal why is like, I want to know that I've got 25 guaranteed holiday days a year that I don't ever have to think about work on those. Or I want to know that when I leave the office at five o'clock, that's it done. And then the other thing I ask people to think about is like their professional why is it, you know almost thinking about what problems they want to solve, what they want to do, what sort of impact they want to have. And I think that, again, shapes for some people, whether they want to work for themselves or to work for a company, because like some of the clients I work with have some real big missions around like Uh, sustainability for example and they know that they can deliver greater impact working for a huge company and changing something there versus you know some people it's really about doing that one-to-one personalized work and they know that they can do that better when they work for themselves so I think they're the two sort of thing checkpoints I try to use with people is what is this going to support in your life like what is your personal why for your career And then what is your professional why? You know, what are you trying to achieve? What impact are you trying to have and which is the best route? And I think I really don't think there is, you know, any one way is better for anyone than others. Like I know definitely for me, working for myself is better because I'm driven by flexibility and freedom and doing work that makes an impact. And in my previous career, I was very much a small cog in a big machine writing presentations that never ever got presented because somebody (laughs) changed their mind and and that for me felt really frustrating because it felt like gosh you know I'm spending so much of my life here and it it doesn't feel like I'm having an impact whereas for others that might feel spot on. Mm. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was fear
0: because I think you posted it the other week, something about kind of fear holding you back. And people often, you know, let's say you've decided on your professional why, your personal why, but making that leap, you know, making that change. What advice would you give to someone who maybe, you know, they know deep in their heart what they want to do and what they want to achieve, but, you know, they're just worried about the what-ifs and all the what-ifs come flying down and hitting them in the face. How, How would you suggest people kind of move forward from that position?
1: The first thing I would say is that, if you've got that niggle, you can't ignore it. And I know because I tried for ages to ignore it. I really tried to bury it. I tried changing my jobs. Like I said, getting side hustles and learning different creative things in my spare time. And I tried you know, working in different industries, anything to sort of avoid having to face this niggle that deep down I knew something else was out there. And so that would be the first thing I would say is that voice unfortunately isn't going away no matter how you try to numb it or push it down. And the next thing I would say is, like, the fear never goes away. And I often say with clients is that often the fear is a really good thing. It tells us that you care about the thing. It tells us that you're invested in it. It tells us that it means something to you. You know, I think we've probably all had an experience of going for a job interview for a job that we didn't really want. And you don't feel that fear. Whereas when you go into a room when you're like, this is the job for me and it's perfect, it feels so much pressure, like more pressurized. So, the fear will always be there and I think for me for a long time I tried to sort of wait until I felt really confident until the post- imposter syndrome had gone away and until I felt really secure and that point doesn't come and once you can sort of accept that the, the way I try to reframe it is what feels more scary so yes it felt so scary when I think about handing my notice in at that job that was like on paper you know a really great job and could have set me up for life and had all the things that you know society tells us are great it, it did feel really scary but what felt so much scarier to me was the thought of not fulfilling my potential or the thought of not doing something that felt really amazing to me or the thought of getting to 65 and still being in a job that I hated and looking back and thinking I really regret doing that and I think that is something that we can consciously try to shift into is like the fear is always going to be there but which voice and which fear do we choose to give weight to so like yeah it might feel scary to take the leap or to have an uncomfortable conversation or to be a beginner again that's something I hear quite a lot as people say oh it feels really scary to start afresh but does it feel more scary to get 10 20 30 years down the line and not have done that
0: Yeah and I think this goes back to the fact that humans we're really optimised for short-term reward you know that is what our brain wants and the thought of having that awkward conversation with your boss or your partner about you know by the way I'm just going to change everything our brains are initially like no don't do that but even if we know there's this long-term advantage we're just not necessarily going to act on that so you almost have to overcome your biology in a sense. Yeah
1: and you have to sort of like that's where you have to really bring that visualization into it of like what you know when have I been disappointed before or when have I made really great decisions that felt scary and they paid off reflected on the times when things did go well because the other th- part of our biology is that we are hardwired to be very skilled risk assessors so we will always be able to see what the worst case scenario is but we're not necessarily as you know we don't instinctively look for the best case scenario we look for I'm going to leave this job and then no one is going to want to work with me. And then I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to be on the street and I'm going to have no friends. And like we can go to that extreme, but we can't go to the extreme of oh, what if this just all ticked over nicely and it was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> Catastrophizing thoughts. I've been there and done that and it's so, such a difficult cycle to get out of. And what I'm always really impressed with by you is your approach to society's constraints, society's, you know, what you should be doing, the house you should have. And you seem to live your life very much for yourself and your partner and your own happiness. What advice would you give to people who are feeling very much like, oh, my parents will be very disappointed if I do this or,
1: you know, what if my friends think I'm a failure? You know, I think this is another one where it will always feel scary because, again, you know, we are hardwired to want to belong to a group. That's how we survived for so long. If you think, you know, we feel a physical hunger, like a physical pain when we're hungry because our bodies have adapted to remind us to eat because that's key to survival. The reason why we feel this fear of other people's judgment is because we've been you know we've adapted as humans to want to be part of a pack because otherwise you know way back when we wouldn't have survived through the night if we didn't have someone else looking out for us or someone else you know going to do the hunting while we took care of the family or whatever it was and I think for me understanding that was a big first step was just going like the reason why this feels so intense and the reason why this feels so scary is not necessarily because that's a rational risk, but because I am having this biological reaction to sort of worrying that I'm going to get thrown out of the village and be on my own and then I'm going to, you know, not survive. So that is an important first step, I think. And then whenever I've been talking about this recently, I've been coming back to a book I read right at the start of lockdown. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. No, I have Mm -hmm. not. I'll pop it
0: down. I'll pop
1: a link down in the notes. It's a brilliant book. And it's all about actually, you know, following our intuition and listening to um, Glennon Doyle calls it the knowing, like this feeling that we have inside. And there's a line in it that I underlined and actually it's pinned up on a post-it note just behind my laptop because I've been coming back to it so much. And she said, she writes, there is no such thing as one way liberation. And I loved it because that is exactly what I've seen in my experience over the last few years is at the beginning, there was a bit of resistance of, "Oh, are you sure you can do that? Or are you really going to walk away from this job? Or are you really going to, you know, go out there and, you know, take this risk. And so often those comments come from a real place of love it's because our parents or our friends or our peers are like this doesn't feel safe and we want to keep you safe but what I've seen is that over time as this has worked for me and people have seen me become happier and become you know more joyful in my day-to-day life that has given other people permission to follow a similar process and to put themselves first and to start living with more intention and this idea that I think we often feel like we're being selfish to do something that is outside of the mainstream or that perhaps makes other people feel uncomfortable. And we automatically turn that as into a negative trait. And when actually sometimes being the first to do something or rocking the boat a little bit, you're paving the way for other people to do the same. And so that's something I try to keep in mind is. There's no such thing as one way liberation. If this works for me and if this feels good for me, it might inspire someone else to do something similar. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing the fact that, like I always say, it would probably be better for marketing if I said, oh, yeah, I've been doing this work for 10 years and I felt called to it. And it was just, you know, I always knew. But that's not true. And the reason why I like showing the more messy bit behind the scenes is because it liberates other people that It's okay if like you're 10 years in and you want to change or it's okay if, you know, you've suddenly figured out that you want to do something different that, you know, you can make that work.
0: Yeah, it's almost giving people permission. And I think that that's what holds a lot of people back. You know, they want someone to, you know, some magical event to happen where someone's like, I give you permission to go and follow your dream yeah and or sometimes you've just got to go and do it but it is amazing to see people like yourself you know have a real stance on something and kind of go for it and make it work as well you know your business is very successful now because you have a strong powerful message and you help people and you have strong values as well
1: so yeah if anyone wants to come over and find out more about sort of the work that I do or enjoy any of the free content that I share I'm at Sophie Cliff on Instagram, Twitter, the usual places. And I have um, my podcast, Practical Positivity, which you'll be able to find anywhere where you're listening to this podcast. And then everything else just lives on my website, which is SophieCliff.com.
0: Awesome. Those will all be in the show notes if you want to find out more. Thank you so much, Sophie, for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure, an inspirational pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks
0: so much to Sophie for spending her time with me and chatting. I found that episode very personally, it resonated a lot with me and the importance of making those tough choices and kind of following, it sounds really cheesy, but following your dream, following your passion, following what gives you a sense of purpose in your life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, I would love it if you left a rating and or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. It just means that I get some feedback on the podcast and also more people get to hear about it because the algorithm will get the sense that people are enjoying it and recommend it to more people which is awesome. You can also follow us on social media to get kind of updates on new episodes, the themes we're covering and some of the things I'm thinking about in life. And that's on Twitter and Instagram at The Brave Listen. We're also on on Facebook as well at The Brave Podcast. And finally, we also have a newsletter that goes out about once a month and it's kind of a bit of an essay format. So some of the ideas in this podcast more kind of in an essay thought piece, I guess, alongside some links to the interesting things I've been reading on the internet around the subject of resilience and life in the 21st century and being adaptable and dealing with change and uncertainty and all of the things that are going on at the moment that's making the world, well a little bit unstable, a little bit uncertain. So you can find that on Substack, the Brave podcast. Um, It's also on linked from social media. And finally, you can find out more about the podcast online at our website, which is actually my website because I'm too cheap to pay for two domains. It's bethavinson.com. All about the podcast newsletter and generally what I'm up to on there. But until next time, thank you so, so much for listening.